long, uh, direct your attention towards Ruth chapter 1. Uh, that's where we're going to be this evening, so you can open there in your Bibles. That is what we're going to be looking at this evening. Um, but before we begin, I just want to open um, in a word of prayer, uh, and I want to ask you also to be praying, and, and as we go through this, uh, just praying for your own hearts and praying for me as we lead. And so let's close our eyes as we come before God. Church, tonight, um, I want to ask you just to pray for your own souls. I pray that God would use me, but that also that God would speak to you, that God really would use His Word to, to benefit your own heart this evening. And then I'd like you to pray for me. Pray that God would, would use me, that I would be an effective communicator for Him, that I really would be useful to Him, that I wouldn't speak anything outside of His Word, but stick to the truth that He has given for us tonight. Father, I thank you that we once again get to come into your presence, that God, we get to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that that really would, would speak to each of us tonight, that your word would really touch each of our souls, that, that God, we would hear you speaking to us, each individual, each person in this room. Spirit, would you work tonight, and that we would really see your hand upon this service and upon your word. I pray this, Lord, in your precious and holy name. Amen. And so as we start this sermon, I'd like you to direct your attention to the screen above and just watch the video. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. We're so excited to find a church. We just started dating. Um, with the churches we go to now, just not, like for us, just not really doing it for us, you know? Right, I, I go to a satellite campus. I just find it hard to connect emotionally with a video screen. It's just... Okay, you cried during Cake Boss. So like, we've been doing a lot of services online, a lot of podcasts. There are a lot of preachers we do like. Really good, but we want, we want serious yet funny. Yeah, like commanding of the stage yet relatable, you mm -hmm. know? We're more looking for uh, the humor of Andy Stanley with the body of Stephen Furtick. Hey guys, what's happening? I'm Corey. Good to see you. My name's Nick. This hey, is Molly. Hey guys, welcome to Church Hunters. This is your first church. This is Creekside First Baptist. So while it is traditional, it's still pretty current. Just okay. this year, the pastor started untucking his shirts. Oh, Ooh, that's wow. good. Big deal. He does dress his age though, so don't worry. He's past the Osteen suit phase, but he hasn't gone full Giglio yet. Because oh. there's holes in the knees or no? Well, it's frayed, but no holes. Frayed, oh. no. Okay, got it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. So hey, let me show you around. Okay, right, come on. Let's do it. I do love this lobby. It's a great lobby. You know, it's not too big, not too small. Yeah. It should be enough room to catch up, chat with your friends. That's all you need. But here's a great thing. There's a bunch of side exits, so if you need to leave early and catch the game, you can do that. Got it. Yes. Oh. Honestly, right up front, uh, didn't love the name. No. I, First Baptist? Who names a church that anymore? I just... Not these days. We're looking no. for like a Thrive Church, maybe Relevant Church, I don't know, Radiant Church, something. I'm Corey Clark, and welcome to Church Hunters. That's a little bit of a, a comedic take on people trying to choose churches, but, but what am I trying to get at by looking at this video? 
you can clearly see looking at these people that the basis at which you come to a decision, the basis at which you come to a choice, influences the way that you're going to see things. So for them, they're coming at what suits me best. I want to have this style of preaching. I want to have this style of what suits me. And, and you know, if I want to watch sport but just want to skip out in church, you know, that, that's what I'd like in my church. And so the basic framework at which you come to a decision will make a huge difference as to the way that you make that decision. And so looking tonight, uh, we're going to continue on in the book of Ruth. And we saw last week, Jabu introduced us into this topic of a family in crisis. We saw Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons travel out to the land of Moab, where subsequently we see Elimelech passes away. The two sons marry two Moabite women called Orpah and Ruth, and the two sons end up passing away. And we see a family in crisis. And, And a reminder, as we're looking at this entire series of Ruth, we are looking at one specific topic. Our redemption story revealed in an actual love story. And so don't lose sight of that as we get stuck into the text. So reading from chapter 1, verse 6, it reads as follows. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back. My daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, Would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge, and your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Verse 19, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. 
I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So coming to this text, as we started off even looking into decisions, I want to use one specific word that we're going to look at the whole of tonight, pretty much. And this is called a crossroad. A crossroad. You see from the title of the sermon, it is God at the crossroad. And so what is a crossroad? A crossroad is when you stand upon a point and you look out and you go, should I go to the left or should I go to the right? You'll see a picture that will come up when we discuss our first point. But it's that choice. Do I go this way or do I go that way? And we might have small crossroads that we encounter in our lives. Do I, do I go to coffee with that awkward person? Do I really want to spend an hour or two with them? Do I take that crossroad? Do I join them? Or do I make an excuse and go the other way? Another smaller crossroad is, is where do I serve in church? Where do I find my spot? Do I, is, is that at the catering ministry, ministry with the tea? Is that serving in worship? Is that just helping out doing the offering? Do I go to the left or do I go to the right? Maybe something a little bit bigger as, as we look out into the bigger crossroads we face in our life, studies. I was chatting to one of the ladies from our Bible study this week, and she said her sister is now looking at going to university and going, do I study this or do I study that? And it can feel almost this anxious feeling as, as we come towards this crossroad and we go, I've got to make a decision. I can't just stand here and, and look out. I need to go, do I go to study this? Do I go to study that? Weighing up the various options around that. Secondly, looking for a spouse. Am I going to, for guys, am I going to choose this one? Am I going to choose that one? What is it that makes a difference for me in a spouse? Even more as we look at parents, how do you raise your child? Do we spank them? Do we not? Coming to these decisions, we have to come and realizing that we as people come before multiple different crossroads in our lives. In fact, our entire life is a series of crossroads. We even see this book of Ruth begins with a crossroad. You see, God had put a famine in the land of Moab, and Elimelech stands at the crossroad and he goes, do I stay in the land of Judah or do I go to Moab? And he stands on this crossroad and he goes, I need to make a decision. Which way am I going? And so when we look at all these crossroads, there's one thing we need to look at is, is how do we choose? How do we choose? How do we make the right decision to not take us down a path that leads us in the wrong direction. And that comes to my first point for tonight. One important question that we're going to be asking throughout this entire portion of, of this point is, is God at the crossroad? Is God at the crossroad? And so I want to take tonight, I want to, I want to ask that question with each of our decisions that we make. I really could wrap the sermon up just by asking that question, is God at the crossroad? But I want to look at each of the three women, Orpah, Ruth, and Naomi, and I want to look at two ways of answering that question, is God at the crossroad? And then I want to look at one consequence of that question. And so looking at the first person tonight, the pragmatist, Orpah, the pragmatist. Okay, well... What is a pragmatist? Why do I use that term pragmatist? Collins Dictionary defines pragmatism as action or policy dictated by considerations 
of the immediate practical consequences rather than by theory or dogma. So what does it mean to be a pragmatist? Well, a pragmatist goes and they look out in their situation and they say, okay, what makes the most logical sense? Where does the data point me? Where, where do the facts lie? How do I look at that? And, and what have I done in the past? And, and what am I going to end up at in the future? They don't really want to think about anything beyond what they can see tangibly. More commonly, just the physical things that we look at. And so we are looking at Orpa in this role of the pragmatist. We often like to break up, as humans, we like stories. You see that in, in young kids. They want to hear a story. And, and you see it more polarized as we get younger. It, it gets more gray as we get older. But we, we like the classic hero and villain. We like to label people. We want to know, is this person good or bad? But whenever someone's watching a series, it's really you're trying to figure out, is this someone on my side or not? Uh, we watched a documentary uh, the other evening with our Bible study, and it's a part of they bring up these people into the documentary to speak, and you, you almost wonder for the whole documentary, are they on my side or not? And you're trying to ask this question. We like to polarize it, but I want to tell you tonight that Orpah, we cannot put into that category. We cannot say she is a straight-up villain as we'd like to. Why do we see that? Verse 9, we see that, and verse 14, we see that Orpah weeps. Her mother-in-law brings up this prospect and says, my two daughters-in-law, go back to the land where you came from. Go back to the, your family. And we see Orpah and Ruth both weeping, crying. I can picture them just really falling on their knees at this request that says, go back home. We see even more as, as we look in verse 10. Verse 10 says, And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. Orpah's committed. Orpah says, I am going with you, Naomi. I, I want to be with you. I want to join you on your journey. And so we cannot simply say that she is just a villain of the story. We have to look deeper. We have to then ask the question, if she initially wanted to join, if she was so emotional because of her love for her mother-in-law, why is it that she then chooses to go back to Moab? Why is it that she makes that decision instead of sticking with Naomi? To look at that, I just want to point out a couple of facts of her circumstance at the moment. You see, her husband has passed away. Her father-in-law has passed away. She has the prospect of going to a foreign country. She's a widow with two other widows. You see, at that point in your life, you look out upon the future and you see nothing. There's no hope. There's no real hope for Orpah to be found in the land of Judah. She's going to be a foreigner with no husband. We even look at, at Naomi as she wants to send her daughters off. She makes a couple of specific points to point out why it's a bad decision to go with her. So we look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Naomi is too old to have a husband. You see, in that society, having a husband is what gave you status. It will allow you to have position in that society. Naomi is telling her, my daughters, even if you want to wait down the family line, if you want to wait to take that tradition that's passed on, that you would marry my next son, I doubt it's going to happen. There's no hope of that. In fact, if you read on in verse 12, she says, if I should say I have hope. Even Naomi herself doesn't herself have hope of having a husband. 
How then is she going to father, mother, a child for Orpah to marry? How then, if, if Naomi herself has zero hope of getting a husband, how then is there a hope of Orpah ever getting married? We see even more that, that in verse 13, she, she really hits this home when she says, even if I had to have a son tonight, got married tonight, I have a son tonight, would you really be willing to wait 14, 15, 16, 17 years to have a husband? In a foreign land, poorest of the poor, destitute, are you willing to take that cost? Are you willing to stand there? Even more as we look upon the positive side of things that would point her towards going home. We see in verse 8, Naomi, even in her encouragement, says, return each to your mother's house. You see, for, for Orpah, this could be the fresh restart she's looking for. She, she can put behind her that her husband has passed away. She can put behind her that she's lost everything, that she's now poor. She can possibly return to her parents' household and get a new start. There's protection, there's safety in her parents' household. There's possibility of a future. She might be able to get married again. We see even in Naomi's response, she points to this. She goes, in, she goes down and she looks and she points out in verse 9, that the Lord, that you may grant that you may find rest each in the house of your husband. So on the positive side, she's looking at the option and she's going, if I go home, there's a possibility I can get married. There's a possibility I might have rest, comfort, safety, security. And even more important, I want to point out that in verse 15, it says that Orpah returned to her people and her gods. If she goes back home, she can go to the gods that she grew up with. She can go back to that, that place where she knows she's familiar with. She doesn't have to go into a foreign land with people she does not know to serve a God she doesn't want to worship. And so Orpah encounters a crossroad. She encounters a crossroad in her life. She's there, and it's interesting to me as you read the story, it seems like they're on the journey already. They're already on the journey to, to Judah. Suddenly, Naomi seems to stop and point this out to her daughter, and so they're weeping on the side of the road. Weeping. It's an emotional, difficult decision. It's a crossroad in her life. But as she looks out upon this difficult and emotional situation... She sees her love that's clearly grown for Naomi, and she wants to follow her. She really does. But when she looks at the immediate practical consideration, the balance does not weigh up. There is nothing for her to be found in Judah. The only simple practical, correct answer in her eyes, as she looks at the facts before her, as she looks at her immediate context, is to say, the right decision for me in this moment is to go back home. That's the right decision for me. She does that cost-benefit analysis, and she sees my benefit of going with Naomi nowhere near matches the cost that's there. And so I'm going to return back home. And you see, many of us come at the same attitude, and, and we come at this concept as pragmatists. 
We come as pragmatists. Why? Because we look at everything. We come to a situation. We come to a crossroad in our life. And we go, what's the pros? What's the cons? What's the best thing for my immediate situation? How do I, I look at the facts? What's going to you know, be the best for me now to get me out of the situation? And we give our primary concern to our current physical condition. Our choice is based on the immediate. We see this when we look upon lies. We were chatting uh, in a group past week and, and saying just how one lie leads to the next. Why? Because it's so much easier for me to say another lie to back up this lie than to step back and go, you know what, I should actually own up here. It seems so much easier to just make that small practical fix, to just put that thing in place. And we look at so many of our decisions like this, even just looking through, it just a, a consideration is how this looks when we go down the line and we start making decisions. It might start off like something small. Picture the father, family of three. And he goes, you know what, I would really like each of my kids to have their own room. I'd like each of my kids to have their own room. I, I don't want them to share a room. And so that means that I need to earn more money. So I need to look for a job. So he goes out and he starts looking for a job. The only job he can find causes him to work on a Sunday. And so looking at it, he goes, you know what? My kids need this. This is for the best of my kids. right? I want my kids to look at me and go, I've been a good dad. I've been a good parent to them. And so the pragmatic, the, the practical consideration response says, you know what, it's not that bad if I miss church now and again. I can catch the stream. I can catch the stream. I can catch up later. Next thing you know, the three bedrooms is enough. It, it's not enough. My kids need cars. My, my kids need to get the best university education. One thing, the next, the next, the next. Crossroad after crossroad, crossroad after crossroad. And before you know it, you've walked away from God. You see, Orpah comes to this and she looks at these considerations. I can tell you now, it seems to me as we read this passage, that she is sincere and genuine in her response. But in her sincerity, in her genuineness, she rejects God. She rejects God. We see this confirmed even as we look at verse 15. See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You can sincerely, looking at the best decisions in front of you, walk away from God without knowing it. And as she disappears into the annals of history, we see that there's very little to come out of her life further on. For her... As we look back to that question, is God at the crossroad? God is not at the crossroad. God is not a part of her consideration. The true God, Yahweh, is not a part of her consideration. And so many of us, as we look at our daily lives, God is not a consideration. God's not at the crossroad. I can remember when I was younger, it seemed like a trend. Everyone just had these WWJD bracelets. What would Jesus do? And, and though I'm not exactly convinced about the, the wearing of the bracelet or the meaning of it, I think it would be beneficial to us if we often asked ourselves that question more. When I look upon life, when I come to daily decisions, 
When I come to the simple questions I need to ask of my life as I come to crossroad after crossroad, when I say, do I need to study this for this test or do I need to go to Bible study? Right? Do I need to stick with this friendship group or should I change friendship groups? When I look at those questions, I need to again come back to that question, is God at the crossroad? Because if we're not careful, we will very quickly look at what the facts are and say, this seems like the right decision for me. Well, if this is what happens when God is not the priority of your life at the crossroad, what happens when He is? What happens when He is? And so we look at the second person for tonight, the cleaver, the cleaver, Ruth. And we're not talking about a hatchet here. We're talking about cleaving, separating, and joining. Uh, you'll get to this now. And we're left wondering about Ruth. So, so we've seen Naomi, I'm not Naomi, Oprah at this crossroad. She's, she's crying, she's in tears, but she decides to walk away. And wondering about Ruth. What about Ruth? What decision will Ruth make? Will Ruth stick with it? Will Ruth look at the facts and go, you know what? There's also no hope for me in the land of Judah. I'm going to turn back. What is Ruth going to do? You see, the same facts that Orpah looked at are the same facts that Ruth has to look at. Exactly the same, no different. But we see in verse 14 that there is something different. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. I just get the scene. It's an it's interesting scene. And, and when we picture Bible stories, I find it often helps us so much to understand. It's, it's almost as if they're both weeping and crying and in tears. And they're saying, Naomi, we don't want to go. We want to go with you. And in Orpah's mind, it clicks. And she says, I'm sorry, but I have to go. And you see her walking away. But you see Ruth clinging to her. She's saying, don't let me go. I'm not going to release you. I'm going to hold on. It's interesting to me that that word clung to her is the same word as cleave. Where's cleave used? Genesis 2.24, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Hence the term is why I called Ruth tonight the cleaver. The cleaver to become joined with. And it's interesting, cleave has two meanings. And I found it really interesting as I was preparing the sermon. Cleave means two exactly opposite, almost exactly opposite things depending on the context. It can mean to adhere, to stick to something, to become one with something, but it can also mean to cleave, to separate something, to separate, to split apart. And so we'll look at each of those two concepts as we go ahead and look at Ruth. But I want you to look at her declaration. Firstly, she adheres. She adheres. And this is her declaration as we look down in the text, down to verse 16. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me also, if anything but death parts me from you. Why would she do this? Why would she say this? I came to this text looking, and I go, why does she make this decision to stick with it? Why would she want to stay with a bitter old lady? Why is she different to Orpah? I think a commentator describes it well. He says, Ruth, however, was no longer committed to her people and her gods. She declared her resolve to go with Naomi back to Bethlehem with such ardor and earnestness as to lift them far above the sphere of mere natural affection or sense of duty. 
They intimate the deliberate choice of a heart which belongs in the first place to Jehovah, the God of Israel, and which has learned to count all things but loss for the excellency of this knowledge. You see, no other explanation other than the fact that God had worked in her life and God was clearly present would explain why she'd choose this option. You see, when you look at the facts, this is a completely incorrect decision. It's the wrong decision to make. But it's because she, in the time that she was around Elimelech and the time she was around Naomi, somewhere in that period, some speculate even now as she comes to this crossroad, she's encountered God. She's encountered God. And I want to say this is even more an, an, a miraculous experience as we come to this. And we, we see God's hand in this picture of her cleaving to Naomi and cleaving to God. Why? Because look at her experience with God. This is the God that had stirred up a famine in Judah. This is the God that had killed her father-in-law. This is the God that had killed her husband, killed her brother-in-law. This is the God that had basically sent them back to the land of Judah poor, a widow. That's her experience of God. And yet she says, your God will be my God. God must have done something amazing in her life. For her, being away from God seemed worse than being in a foreign land. It seemed worse than being poor. It seemed worse than having no future hope of a husband. Because she weighs up the options. And she says, you know what, all the facts might lean this way. But God is at the other end of that crossroad. God is on the other side. And so I'm going to choose to follow him. I don't know what's going to come. I don't know where it's going to lead. I don't know what suffering I'll face on the other side. But I know that when I take that road, when I walk towards Judah with Naomi, that is where I'm going to find what I'm looking for. That is where God is going to be. That is where Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, is going to be. And so no matter what happens, I want to be there. She cleaves to him, joins to him. And it's interesting, as we look at the second meaning of cleave, she separates. She leaves behind her gods. She leaves behind her people. She leaves behind those opportunities, and she says, I am going to leave them behind. So often when we make decisions, we bring things with us. We want to get on the crossroad and say, you know, when I'm on this crossroad, if, if, if things go wrong, I want to have a shortcut back. I want to have a backup plan. I want to have a way in which, you know, if, if things really just don't reach where I want it to be, I'm, I'm going to go back this way. She says, no, I'm going to leave everything behind. I'm going to leave it all behind, and I'm going to turn towards God. I'm going to leave with Naomi and follow her. And so again, I want to ask that question, is God at the crossroad for you? Is God at the crossroad for you? And so I want to look just at this promise that, that Ruth makes towards Naomi, and I really want to bring it forward to us today. And this is a beautiful picture of, of the call into the Christian life that God gives us. And so the first thing I want to look at as we look at this beautiful picture is to take the Lord as your God, God eternal. In the same way that Ruth says, your God will be my God, I want to call you tonight to say, are you going to say, your God is my God? That Lord, 
God, Yahweh, you are my God. You're not separate. You're not abstract. You're not away from me. You are my God to hold and to keep forever. That's the choice you have tonight is to say, God, you are my God. And the next thing we look at as we come and we make that decision to say, God, you are my God, as we look at the second thing is, his people are my people. And it's, it's this interesting thing. And so many times people say, you know what, I love God, but I don't like his people. She says, yeah, your people, we my people. Ruth doesn't know what the people are going to be like. She has no idea. And that's what happens when we come into a church body. We have no idea what people are going to be like. In fact, we actually do know a bit. We know they're going to be messed up. But she says, your people are my people. Why? Because they're God's people. And she says, your people are my people. No matter what they come with, no matter the weird quirks and, and the sinfulness and, and the different things that we don't get along, we rub each other the wrong way, this is still my brother. This is still my sister. The third thing we look at is their lot is our lot. And I'm going to put this in different ways. Their lot is our lot. To take up the same yoke, yoke and the same cross cheerfully. Even as we look, at, we look at, at Christ who went to the cross, His lot is my lot. What He did, what He suffered, what He took, I am willing to walk that road. I'm willing to take up that persecution that might come. Even more than that, we see you will go where they go. You will go where they go. Again, as we look at Ruth, Ruth didn't know exactly what she was going into. Same thing with the Christian life. We don't often know where God's going to lead us. There's many, many martyrs these days that I guarantee you when they made that choice to follow God, when they made that choice to say, you are my God, they didn't know what would happen to them. But they said, God, wherever you lead me, whichever journey you take me on, no matter where you lead me, I am going with you. Whether that be through good times or bad times, whether that be through health, whether that be through suffering, I'm not going to leave you because I'm going to go where you go. Even more than that, she says, I'm going to stay where you stay. And I found it interesting when I was reading through a commentary that, that the point where he makes when stay where you stay is whether I stay in a 10-room ten ten mansion, whether I stay in prison, I'm staying with God. I'm going to stay there. And with people that are so prone, and we really want to be moving the whole time, we want to be moving and going. And I just picked this picture of the Exodus. When the cloud moved, they moved. When it stayed, they stayed. Are you willing to stay where God puts you? To stay where He puts you? The next thing we look at is to die where they die. I think that's ultimately, I think as a Christian, it's interesting. We, we were talking about funerals and things this week, and it's such a joyful thing for a Christian to go to death. It's such a joyful thing. Why? Because I know when I die, I die where Christ is. I die where God is. And we come to this looking at the fourth point tonight, coming through these different things we need to be asking ourselves at the crossroad is persevere to resolve. Are you persevere to resolve, to, to resolve that I'm going to adhere to Christ? I'm going to stick to Him. Even extending that point, that death will not do us part. It will not separate me from Christ. You look at Ruth. Ruth says, I am going to die. I'm going to be buried where you are buried. The difference for us Christians is we don't just have that hope of being buried where 
Christ is buried, buried with him, we want to stick with him past death. We want to hold on to him. We want to really look out and go, I'm going to die where he died. I'm going to hold on to the very end. I'm going to persevere. And we set a resolve in our hearts to persevere. The fifth thing is to bind our souls, never to break these commitments, to cleave to God. We see that in the end of, of this passage where we look at verse 17. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death passing from you. Because there'll be times when we look at that cross road and we go, man, it looks difficult on that side. I'd much rather like to be on that side. We must set in our hearts, set in our souls to say, God, no matter what comes my way, when I look at that crossroad, I'm going to ask, where do you want me? Where do you want me to be? Where do you have me, God? I'm going to follow that direction. We must commit to that in our souls to say, I am going to follow you no matter the cost. No matter where I end up, no matter where I go. You see, the, to be a follower of God is not the easy life. It's not the life of comfort. It will come with cost. And so my question today is, are you counting the cost? Are you counting the cost? Looking at counting the cost, I want to look at my third point for tonight, the reinstated. The reinstated, looking at Naomi. I said that we start off with two means and one consequence. This is the consequence of a choice to follow God. Naomi calls herself bitter. Um, and she sees the tough task of what it means to be committed to God. We look specifically as I, I look down into verse 21, I went full and the Lord has brought me back empty. See, when we follow God, there's a promise that God's going to discipline us when we choose the wrong direction at that crossroad. It's a part of the cost we have to face. God disciplines Naomi from leaving Judah for letting her sons marry two Moabite women, God disciplines her. And we must be resolved to return to him at the crossroad of discipline. The interesting thing as we look at this story is they'd been in Moab for 10 years. But something tells you I need to go back. I need to go back to Judah. There's food there. There's, there's prospect there. There's hope there. So despite God's heavy hand upon her, and if you read that last portion again, she really doesn't lay it on thin. God has been harsh to her. She really feels like God has put her in a terrible spot. But she resolves, she says, I'm going to return back to my people and my God. Despite the discipline. And so easy when God comes and disciplines us in our lives and we find difficult things and we get lost in our sin and lost in, in choosing the incorrect way on the crossroad. The hardest thing for us to do is to say, God, I'm going to go back to you. I'm going to go back to you. Because it comes with cost. We look at Naomi. I left full, and I came back empty. But even in Naomi, there, there is a great confidence. There, there is a great confidence that we find. As I want to close off a bit of this sermon, looking at our second point for the evening, the second big point. So the first point is, is God at the crossroad? Second one is, God is at the crossroad. You see, for Naomi, she comes to this point and she says, I have come back bitter. In fact, she changes her name from the one who is pleasant to one who is bitter. From Naomi to Mara. 
The people look at her, and it's clearly that something's different about her. The, the, the suffering, the grief has impacted her. But you know what's the amazing thing? God brought her back. That same verse where she says, she left full, came back empty. It says, the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord brings her back. The Lord does not let her leave him completely. He does not let her completely run away from him and be lost in her sin and be lost in her wrong decisions. He brings her back. He brings her back. And though we as Christians, those who have chosen to follow God, might go through extreme difficulty, though at times our faith may waver, we may slip and we may fall, we have certainty of one great thing. God is at the crossroad. God will bring you back. God will call you. He will preserve you. But I want us just to step away for a little bit as we, as we look at this bigger concept. God is at the crossroad, not just in Ruth and Naomi. We look at the entirety of the, the biblical picture, the bigger biblical picture, what's going on here. Do you see that God took a woman who shouldn't be a part of his people? He works in her heart, calls her to be joined. And we see this picture of one who has been disobedient and an outcast being brought into the story of God. And so as we come to Ruth, we come to look at this bigger picture. We come to, to see what God is doing in this narrative of redemption. We see that we know the one who's writing the story. He is the God at the crossroad. He takes Ruth. He takes this woman who was never meant to be a part of him, who's, who's never meant to even look anything like an Israelite. And we're going to follow this story as, as we see this picture of redemption unfold. But even in this picture of Ruth and Naomi, we find an amazing truth that God is writing the story. And so I want to come tonight and really, really look at that. And I want you to ask that question. And I want you to ask that question, is God at that crossroad? When I make the decisions of my life, is God the priority focus of my life? Is He the first thing I think of when I encounter that crossroad? But the second thing is because we might come to those crossroads, we might come to those places, and we like Naomi and Orpah and Ruth, we might come weeping and go, God, I don't know what the right way is. And I think that often I choose the wrong way. I think that often I'm turning the wrong direction, and God, I feel so lost but God's there writing the story. God is at that crossroad. Our confidence is not in our flesh. Our confidence is not in us making the right decision. Our confidence is in the one who sent his son to die for us. And we're going to see this picture carry through, and, and I don't want to spoil a bit of that story. But that's something we can hold with great confidence. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And so in conclusion, I just want to read to you a hymn that I think really captures this message. Jesus, my all to heaven is gone. He whom I fix my hopes upon. His track I see and I'll pursue. The narrow way till him I view. The way the holy prophets went the road that leads from banishment. The king's highway of holiness, I'll go for all his paths of peace. This is the way I long have sought, 
and mourned because I found it not. My grief a burden long has been because I was not saved from sin. Lo, glad I came, and you, blessed Lamb, shall take me to you, whose I am. Nothing but sin have I to give, nothing but love shall I receive. Then will I tell to sinners round what a dear Savior I have found. I'll point to your redeeming blood and say, Behold the way to God. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that we can come with great confidence before you. I thank you that, God, we can look out. And, God, when we account to those crossroads, Lord, I pray that you really would remind us that you are there. Lord, remind us that, that we need to look upon you, that we shouldn't make decisions just based on what seems best in our own eyes. But, Lord, I'm grateful for the great assurance we have that you step into the story. You stepped into our story. That, God, you have redeemed those who believe in you. And, Lord, I pray, I pray that tonight, if there are any, God, who have, who have not chosen you at that crossroad, if there are those who have been like Orpah and looked at the world and said, I'm going to look at that and that's going to be better, I pray, God, that tonight you would convict them and convince them that, Lord, you are on the other end of that crossroad. God, would you give them confidence, Lord, that they might not know where the end may lie. They might not know what the journey is going to look like. That, God, they can trust in you. Because, God, you are writing the story. Thank you, Lord, that we get this choice, we get this option, we get this ability to follow you and to serve you. Pray this, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.